0: Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads, and lassies, and those who don't subscribe to gender, welcome to the Pot of the Dragon podcast. This is a reaction podcast. We, Spencer, we just watched episode three of HBO's House of the Dragon. What did you think?
1: I thought it was a very solid episode. It was it, it had some rough patches, particularly at the start, but it just had a build up to it that was going throughout the entire thing and then ending with a climax of Damon Targaryen soloing an army, which I'm sure has you at about an eleven right
0: now. Oh, a huge Damon fan here, as I've covered on this podcast many times. This was his shining moment. I mean, like, you know, obviously, if you've read the books, you know, especially if you've read Fire and Blood, you know that Damon does eventually kill the crab feeder. And it, he in kills him in one-on-one combat. combat, and they they allowed it. They, I'm I'm a little bummed it happened off screen, but there was a dramatic element to him pulling that half body out of the cave like that. I will tell you in the books, he takes his head; he doesn't take half his body. That was a sort of strange change. <laughs> I don't Ed know. Was there too. I don't know why they made that change, uh, but well, I'll tell yeah. you, I, the Damon part of this episode had me going absolutely bananas. I thought this was a really really good episode. I think that this episode will probably land more with the casual audience because they got to see the stuff they want to see in Game of Thrones, which is the palace intrigue, the potential Mm -hmm. romance, the who's going to you know, like the the infighting and then they end with the sort of fire and blood, the the dragon, the battle and it actually harkened back to the Battle of the Bastards episode, obviously, right? When it looked like it looked like all was lost for John, it looked like he had gone out on his own on a one person thing Everybody's coming, running at him. Everything slows down. The music builds. He pulls his sword. He's ready to fight the army one on one. And then the reinforcements come in. So there's a very good parallel to Battle of the Bastards, which Miguel Sapochnik did. So I I really enjoyed that part of it. I thought this was a fantastic episode. I, I, I really anticipate a lot of positive reviews from this.
1: Again, I very much enjoyed it. Honestly, though, my favorite scenes were not the Stepstones. As much as I thought this entire episode would be just straight up Stepstones combat, that's we got what I was hoping that. for, yeah. We we also got Sea Smoke appearing on Yeah, wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. you got to eat some crow right now. Wait a now, second. I was right. I am
0: bowing. I'm bowing and asking you for your eternal forgiveness. Spencer absolutely called this correctly. Thank you. That the Valerians, while not dragon lords, they are drawing the distinction. Are indeed dragon riders. Lainor, At least going Lainor Vanir, Valerian. Is, that was not Caraxes. He was riding. So anybody who was confused, that was his dragon. Sea Smoke. So he is a he is a dragon rider. So the Valerians are dragon riders, which means we probably spoiled a pretty good plot element in our last episode, which I think I did. Uh, but you are 100% right about that. The distinction here, folks, is that they are not dragon lords, meaning they do not breed dragons. They do not necessarily own them, but they can dra- They can uh, uh, ride dragons.
1: And, and, and as we've discussed before, dragons are bonded to particular individuals. So this is clearly not like he just picked this one up for today and is riding it like, you know, an Enterprise rent-a-car. This is his dragon. Yes, yeah, this is his dragon. In the same mo- way, bon- in the same
0: way, yeah, exactly. In the same way that Daemon's dragon is correct, he's, this is his dragon.
1: Right. And I, I think one thing that we'll, we'll see how they do it, but one way they could maybe trying to balance out the di- kind of somewhat differing points we've gotten in the show is that it may be now that they've married into House Targaryen, now they're establishing their own line of dragon riders, whereas the sea snakes ge- generation and earlier hasn't been. Maybe that's how they're doing it. We'll have to see in the show. But regardless, we got our third we got our third dragon in here, and I was excited about it. But really, my favorite scenes in the episode were honestly the moments of just discussion around King's Landing in the Kingswood, Wood, moments between Rhaenyra and Criston Cole, moments between Rhaenyra and her dead, the High Towers be- doing all sorts of High Tower things. All of that was great. It was wonderful dialogue. It was wonderful character interactions. The characters are just really bringing it. I was glad to see that. Cause it wasn't what I expected. I thought we would just spend an entire hour just watching Damon and the Sea Snake kill people from Essos and the Stepstones. We got a bit of that. And shall we say this? I was a little bit worried previously that whether Matt Smith... We discussed this in our text between episodes this week. I was worried about whether they'd showed the adequate amount of violence and dangerousness and physicality out of Damon as a character because so it was an aspect of him we hadn't seen yet do you feel that Matt Smith brought what he needed to in this episode
0: yeah absolutely I mean obviously he absolutely brought physicality I mean as much as we saw Kit Harrington, you know slinging a sword around and cutting people down I mean I feel like it was right on par with what we saw in a lot of those battle scenes with Kit Harington. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I think he absolutely delivered as far as as far as the physicality of the role, I think Matt Smith is doing a great job. I, I think if you have problems with the the cast, the acting, Matt Smith is not where you're going to land. Right? Who, who he's him? doing he's doing more more than his part. He's carrying it pretty well. I, I think he's done a great job. And by the way, when I read, um, The Rogue Prince and I read Fire and Blood, mm-hmm. I never envisioned damon to be a big bulky like strong guy like i, I don't i don't know why people had that mental image it, i did not it's not have uncommon that. yeah but i didn't have that like so i i've not had that same sort of hiccup with it with the casting because i've always thought of him as more of like a like a lanky like toned muscular really good fighter because mm-hmm. you know those you know really huge bulky guys aren't great sword fighters like you need to be kind of like long and flexible pliable that sort of thing so that's what that's where my mind always went with him i do have a question for you about the stepstones battle scene though please i think here's my read on what they were doing right okay we had the discussion when when damon was still out there just laying waste everything with caraxes as about, he does hey how are we going to pull the crab feeder out of these caves mm-hmm. and the sea snake was like, why don't we get Damon to do it? He's crazy as fuck. He'll do it. Absolutely. He'll do it. <laughs> and his brother snake that he is was awful. Mm-hmm. And then Damon gets word from his brother that he's going to help Damon. Look, let's, let's pause on the
1: reaction that Damon had to that for a second. I, sure. I do
0: want to, as Damon's defense attorney explain this to the casual,
1: I, I I don't think it's that difficult to interpret, but let's see. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to take his back on it is what I'm um, sure. Okay. Um, all right. And then from there, they, we are meant to believe that Damon angrily goes off half cocked, jumps out, pretends, which is by the way, I mean, honor right out the door. This is not a normal thing to be doing in this society. Pretend to wave the white flag and then fight on. But he does so. And we are meant to think that all of the time that he is doing this on his own. Now, then the Valerians come to help the Valerian fleet and army come to help. And so you have this sort of decision tree of, are they, are, is this sort of like when John went off half cocked in the battle of the bastards and they just followed him anyway, even though he was being crazy, or was this a plan amongst all of them together? Because we got that little bit from Corliss about where his head was at, where he was thinking, Hey, we can get Damon to pull him out. And then we kind of see that play out later. So what, which, which side of that did you think? This this
1: really landed very much the second option. They we saw them discuss it. We saw them say that this would be necessary to draw him out. We saw specifically Damon looking expectantly for when the when, when the uh, Valerion knights would, be, would then be backing him up this morning. Uh, Valerion knights and mercenaries that are coming with, and it was all perfectly timed to happen along that way, along the exact lines they discussed as who is important enough that will actually get the crab feeder to to you know commit his resources. So, I, yeah, I'm very much in Camp 2. This isn't impromptu. This is a strategic plan based on the fact that Damon is utterly terrifyingly fearless in terms of being willing to commit himself to that risk for that particular operation.
0: I agree. I think it was a plan, I think it was planned all along because I think another thing they were doing, they were playing with the filmmaking of having us think, and I fell I felt victim to this, of thinking that Damon was looking for Caraxes. That he was looking up the crab feeder was constantly looking to the sky i you know i'm co- i constantly go back to the bond between dragon and dragon rider I thought what they were going to do is have Caraxes come in, save the day type thing. But mm-hmm. in reality, what Damon was doing is this was part of the plan and he was looking for the, the backup soldiers and they eventually did come. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damon had still put himself at huge physical risk. This was not like, he was not safe during this by any stretch of the imagination. God, no. He could um, have died. Um, but I do point. think, yeah, but I do think it was, it was all part of the plan for sure. And it was funny because I was watching it with my wife and all of this goes down and then Damon h- takes off for the cave. And I was like, Hey uh, honey, you think the crab feeder stands any chance against Damon Targaryen? <laughs> she just busts out laughing. And then, of course, we don't even... It, it's, a, it's such a non-fight, we don't even see it. Why? Because, first, well, first off, nope, uh, none of these guys, which we saw, are a match for Damon Targaryen. None of the crab feeders. With Dark none,
1: Sister? God, no. None of
0: them. But this guy in particular has grayscale, so he certainly wasn't a good one-on-one
1: yeah. fighter. Yeah, the portrayal the, the show did of the crab feeder is very different than the books at least from all, little information we got but I really yeah, actually, doesn't
0: have he doesn't have grayscale in the books
1: no he's just an admiral of of, of Mir that's, what, that's all we really know about him I really actually like the portrayal that we've got this episode though for a few reasons one I appreciate his caution and intelligence by how slowly he commits himself That every step of the game he's like well this is obviously a trap you four guys do it okay he's charging uh, you five guys go there Still no dragon. Okay. rest of you guys get going. He He knew what was going on, yeah. He knew what was going on, but he kept on going like, all right, let's commit a little bit farther. And they slowly were able to dry him out by (laughs) essentially Damon Targaryen doing the most suicidal thing they could possibly imagine. And taking two arrows,
0: by the way. Taking two
1: arrows. Taking two arrows. I also like how they actually portrayed the fight. I know in the books it's this epic duel that all the ballads write about. But as you said, it wouldn't really make sense for the crab feeder as they portrayed him to be much of a fighter. And I in some ways appreciate where a big bad guy doesn't have to be badass by means of their own physical ability. It's by their command and by their strategic efforts. And in terms of him retreating into the cave and Damon just returning with the body, that's, that's just a, again, that's just a wonderful playing with history kind of moment of, you know that all of the ballads would then fill in the gap with what happened. They, all of them, with what information they had, would just go, well, here's a blank space that I can describe an epic duel in. And then they would step in to do it.
0: Which it was. It, it probably wasn't an epic duel at all. Damon probably just walked up and cut him in half because, yeah. uh, you know, the crab feeder had grayscale. He, he, he was limited in his mobility and he probably wasn't, capable of fight, fighting with Damon one-on-one okay. anyway, even when he was healthy.
1: No, but we did still get a great dual kill this episode of when Rhaenyra almost essentially soloed that boar on the ground. Kudos to her.
0: Yeah. Well, didn't, didn't, uh, yeah, she. So yeah, ha-
1: Kristen Cole helped. He helped. He, he gave it a little stab, but she went full on knife to yeah, the Yeah, he stabbed like it. But, and when he
0: stabbed it, that fucking sword got a couple inches yeah. from her face. Yes. Um, all right, so we talked to, so anything else you want to cover about the Stepstones?
1: Uh, I mean, we didn't get that much. I mean, it was it was much more of a secondary part of things. It seemed like from the preview for next episode, we're going to get a lot more of Damon being self-declared king of the Stepstones. But what we got was a nice balance. Not
0: self-declared. How de- dare you, sir? Others declare him.
1: Uh, he, he, the, yeah, the, the, the equivalent of the, of the, of the uh, thousand people he brought declared. Oh, uh, let congrats. me explain.
0: I do you want to explain a couple things to people who might be confused? So you might wonder, how can Corliss Valerian have half the fleet, the half the royal fleet, but still struggle with enough men to fight what looks like, I don't know, a couple hundred people that the crab feeder has? Well, the, the reason for that is that the fleet that Corliss Valerian has is not, he is not a King. These are not, these are not people who are like in basically indentured servants, right? He's not, he has to pay the people who, you know, use his ship for con- his ships for commerce mm-hmm. out of his own pocket. So a lot of these people, you even made the distinction when you were talking earlier, some of these were like soldiers slash mercenaries, because most of the ships that he has are for trade. And what she talks about, he's a merchant and, and he pays people for trade. So he doesn't actually have a ton of swords no. like at his back of actual pure soldiers. He's got a lot of ships and a lot of people, but it's a lot of people who are in his employ to take cinnamon from point A to point B, not necessarily to grab a sword and go run in a cave. So that's kind of how you can square the two things. Second thing, I want to point something out here, please. Um, while it is not smart to ever literally beat the messenger, um, Damon had every right to be frustrated with his brother and every with fucking every fucking right to be frustrated with his brother. His brother was gonna let him languish out there for years, failing. He know, he's known Great part of three of them. Yeah, he's known that they've struggled for years and years and years, and and right at the very end, he's gonna send in. Uh, just a massive number of men to come in and just win. And and by the way, in the message, I, he says us, he says, we are not succeeding in this war. So the deuce is up Two middle fingers to the series. I'm with Damon on this one. Should you, however, just like PSA out there for all the boys and girls, should you ever actually beat the messenger? I'm going to go no with that one. Bad look for Damon, but his anger was justified.
1: I mean, it, it was a very understandable anger of where he, the sole reason he went to the Stepstones with the Sea Snake in the first place was to overcome the label of the Second Son. It was to chart his own destiny. It was to prove his own worth. It was to represent to the people of Westeros that he can actually accomplish great things and do things to protect the realm. That's why he went out there to do this. and for two Which and a he half does. And for two and a half years, it's been defying him just through this long-term war of attrition that was not what they, you know, were ready for or really had the resources to accomplish. And now, as you said, the 11th hour, his brother says, don't worry, I'm here to help you. This will be our victory. And Damon's like, well, fuck that noise. I, I did this. This is what I've come here to accomplish. I'm now going to do the most suicidal thing possible to prove and do what's necessary to win the day before any of your guys even get here.
0: And if you wanted a great in-world explanation for the fervor which the Sea Snakes men were fighting with Mm -hmm. is the fact that Damon literally got, they watched it. He got a scroll from the king that said, I got a ton of people coming. I'll take you back. He could have played the prince and said, I have saved the day. I have done it. Instead, what does he do? He says, fuck that. Mm -hmm. I'm going personally. Come with me if you want. And I'm going to end this right now. That's a guy I can get behind. I'm just going to say, that is that would inspire
1: loyalty. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, Shout out Damon Targaryen. Let's give him a round of applause. Kudos indeed. Well done to him. Tell me though, I haven't heard from you yet. What did you think about the other parts of this episode? Because we spent 85% of our time far outside, far away from the Stepstones.
0: Um, I think I finally got a real understanding of why George R. R. Martin says he likes this version of a series better than the version that
1: he wrote. It's it's certainly a lot more developed and a lot more interesting. Just being Yeah. The guy on the page, I knew he was a king. I knew he was r- roughly ineffectual. I knew he tried to make everybody happy. That's all I got out of it. This guy has multitudes of complexity and pressures and competing forces inside of his soul. And that is just bleeding off the screen.
0: And he's got a melancholy that I think oh, yeah. George George likes in his rulers. I think he he likes the idea that ruling is a very solitary thing in this type of monarchy mm-hmm. and it's being portrayed really well. I, I think the actor, Patty Constantine's doing a great job. I think that they're rounding that character out now it's very different, right? So if you're a Viserys fan, if you read the books and I don't know why you would, but if you read the books and you're like, I really like this Viserys, yeah. then, then you're probably frustrated with this, right? Cause he, there's way more flaws to me, apparent. In the character I'm seeing on screen, but it's also a more rounded, more uh, relatable character. I will say this, that in the book, him and Renera, from what we know, again, unreliable narrator that, that is telling well, us the information piece, and fire and, and blood, pot. were tight. Yes. They were simpatico the whole fucking time. They na- this thing of the, her getting mad, leaving them screaming in public and all this, none of that is really given over to us now could it have happened maybe again unreliable narrator in fire and blood but i do think they are caught they are, they're 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 pulling at that relationship a little bit more in this story than the story we get in the books i but you, you, to summarize i think that it was great character development mm-hmm. i think that this was mikhail sapochnik saying we threw no fault of our own through absolutely no fault of our own Committed a heinous crime and how we portrayed a royal hunt in season one of Game of Thrones and we are going to show you a real royal hunt. So shout out to them for that. What? I also love the parallel of and I, I was just sitting there screaming Bobby B quotes. Gods, I was strong then mm-hmm. when when uh, Viserys was drunk on a hunt.
1: Oh yeah, uh, br-
0: br- I was uh, like what? My girl oh, my was guy, playing- my guy's on a hunt. He's being difficult. He's he's screaming at his hand, I don't want to hear about politics. And he's drunk as a skunk? This yeah. is King Bobby B.
1: But it, it was to the point that my girlfriend was turning to me the, the entire run of that saying, is the boar going to kill him? Is this history repeats? Is he going to die disemboweled by a boar just because that's what happens to kings and Westeros? And I'm just looking at her going, well, he is very so. drunk and acting very Bobby B. right now. Yeah. <laughs> Start the damn joust before I piss myself uh, Now, you're, you're, cast, you're casting some serious shade t- t- towards season one right now Are you telling me that the epic royal hunt of season of season one Of four guys marching through the woods With one wineskin and one spear did not impress you, sir?
0: Yeah, that was pretty rough uh, They obviously had run out of budget when they did that scene Yeah, no, this was great I mean, the big tent uh, What did you think about the inclusion of the um, Tylan and Jason Lannister?
1: I actually really like that element, It, it A, it further expands the, our knowledge of what the lords are doing during this particular period, and B, it really does, it well set up one of the central tensions of this episode of the conflict between uh, Viserys and Rhaenyra on the subject of what her role is. It, is it is her role as that of an heir? Is her role as that of a, of a essentially somebody that'd be auctioned off to secure other alliances? Is this an element of her choice? Is this something that he should control? And they built that up well through the introduction of the Lannisters in this episode, and it just continued to grow from there.
0: I also like that they establish where the Lannisters are in the hierarchy because I think that, you know, by the time we get to the main series, mm-hmm. the Lannisters are are uh, obviously yeah. above the Targaryens, but but above pretty much everybody else in the realm. And senior, here, yeah. here they're clearly not like Rhaenyra's like. Are you fucking kidding me? The Lannisters? I'm going to go out there on that shit heap, Casterly Rock. No, hell no. Like, the, the the dismissal of Jason Lannister, I thought was really good because it, it does set the Lannisters in place. Now, the Lannisters are... Still a powerful fan. They're still very, very, very powerful. They, they run yeah, the Westerlands. They run and the whole thing. But not the whole Westerlands, but but the uh, Lannisport. But I, I, I think it was her basically saying if i'm going to marry somebody it's going to be somebody of a little higher stature than the fucking
1: lannisters well, at this point they're they're still they're still the lord supreme of the ones, even though they don't necessarily have the same uh power throughout west, west, west as they are but yeah i i agree i think they've i'm not really sure we know that i think we I mean i think that's been the case ever since the field of fire of where the, the pre the pre the uh, and around, around that period but we'll double check this off camera for right now I do very much agree. Well, I, I read
0: I read the Dance of Dragons and Fire of Blood today. So it's like it was <laughs> Fresh, not established right. in that. Okay I can tell you that.
1: Uh but I did love how dismissal she was of the proposition of where he asked her, Oh, have you been to the, have you been to the Rock, my lady? And she's like, Yeah, I think when I was seven and it was like, you know, <laughs> When we went, when I went to nope. see the Statue of Liberty and I just kind of vaguely remember I was there. I, think I got a
0: post postcard. Did I get a po- postcard? I think I got a postcard. Or was it a yeah. Shot
1: class? I don't maybe, know. I don't maybe know I just got seasick on the boat. Yeah. You know yeah, these yeah. things. They all blend together.
0: Yeah, I don't know. And I thought I thought Jason Lannister's um, proposition to her was uh, presumptuous, pretty, pretty fucking sideways. I mean, uh, yeah, he was really talking down to her in a way. He he was not talking. He was not talking to her like she was the heir of the Seven Kingdoms. That's for fucking sure. Uh, I will say that the um, the Sir Criston Cole stuff with Rhaenyra I thought was extremely well done. The the, the the back and forth between the two of them. How it's abundantly clear to me that Rhaenyra has interest in Sir Criston Cole. I am not 100% sure that he has the same interest in her just to remind all of our listeners out there, the Kings guard do swear a vow of chastity when they become the Kings guard. So he is, we obviously that's kind of hard to tell in the main series because Jamie was just fucking everything, but like he's supposed to be celibate. So if he were to make any sort of move with Renera, it would be against his vows, obviously. So I think, I think that was portrayed extremely well. the The chemistry between the two of them.
1: It was. I, I really did like that. I really did like their scenes together. Uh, I think it well set up what is going to be a, a bit of a tension going forward in a lot of ways between vows and duty and commitment to your own cause versus the realm. Um, I think that was all well portrayed. A little off scene I also quite liked is the idea that as much as Otto High Tower is a power, is a, is a is a man with power. Hey, fuck him! Fuck
0: Otto High Tower! I just have to say that every yeah, single time. It's one required.
1: Of our yes, loyal loyal member of the Black Cause that you are. Uh, I liked in this episode they did f- also establish that he is just a second son who is in some ways beholden to his brother's will. So we got to see, spend a, little, a lot more time with Lord Hightower this episode, and it was pretty clear that he was like, Hey, this is what I want, Otto. You're going to make that happen, right, Otto? And Otto's just going to have to ask to, to a certain degree, Grin and bear it himself, and then the shit rolls downhill onto his daughter and everybody else, too.
0: Yeah... I'll tell you this. So we talked a little bit about how, how are they going to be able to create some sympathy for the greens? Mm -hmm. I found myself. So I'm a black all day long, all day, day one, since day one, I'm a black. I did find myself though, going, man, wouldn't it be a lot easier if he would just name it? You know what I'm saying? Like they, the way they (laughs) present it, it, I think, I think it will logic most of the viewers into going, well, why, why don't they just make Aegon King? Like This doesn't make any yeah. sense why he's continuing to push Rhaenyra when, by his own admission. He only named Rhaenyra because the only other option yeah. at the they time don't. was Daemon. He didn't know he was going to have a boy and now he's kind of stuck in this weird thing. And, and ultimately, ultimately the Dance of the Dragons, ultimately the yeah. entire conflict and the downfall of the Targaryens and their dragons, et etc. Cetera, et cetera, yeah. et can be linked to Viserys' indecision because yeah. he, at this point, so. right now, needs to make a call and he's kind of riding the line. And it, it looks like he, it, toward the end of the episode, it looks like he made the call right. But I, I did find myself, though, going, hmm. If he think about it. another world, Spencer, yes. if he have just said, sorry, Rhaenyra, Aegon's going to be king. Targaryen's still in power. Like, are they still in power now? They might be, right? So I don't, you know, I don't know. I I think that's how they are going to get a lot of people on the cause of the Greens.
1: We've discussed this before. The most important job of any royal is securing the line of succession and making it beyond debate, beyond challenge, with no basis for civil war or whatever else to follow. That's their job more than anything else. It's the justification for why monarchy exists is that it resolves that issue of who comes next. That's it. That's what you've got to do. Viserys, though, as he expressed this episode, is a man who wants to make everybody happy and is unable to accept that that's just not always possible. He struggles with the idea that each decision he makes is going to make somebody happy and somebody unhappy and so his tendency then is to do nothing so that way at least nobody's unhappy and the Spencer, realm suffers for it.
0: Spencer, what would you do in his in his situation? Right now, you're Viserys, right now at the, at the middle of this episode, what would you do?
1: Middle of this episode, what would I do in terms of like the line of succession? Yeah. I've declared Rhaenyra, the lords have accepted Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra is my heir and I will further reiterate it. What I would have done earlier is make that much more publicly apparent longer. The problem, yeah. the problem he's made All is right, that well, he's... went utterly, a different way. You
0: went a different way. You shocked me. I thought I, you would have said name dig on, on the air.
1: No, I think his biggest mistake so far is that he's continued to marginalize her. He could have yes. done so much yes. to build up her base of power, to make her the public heir, to make her a key part of his council at every point, but he has made her an object of ridicule by not treating her seriously in public in that regard. And that is a big problem that has invited... This debate and challenge among the lords about who the real heir is or real heir is going to be. He's like, well, it's got to be Aegon because he's never really treated her seriously as his heir. Why would I support her when she's a woman and everything else? And the king himself is not treating her like an heir. That should never... have. We should never have reached that point to start, much less going forward.
0: Shout out. Shout out, Spencer. you're You're now the you're the White House counsel for uh, the Blacks. That's what you are. We're going to appoint you counsel for the Blacks. I, I will say a couple things just to point out in this episode. If you like Lionel Strong, you know, if you were impressed Would- by Lionel Strong. Yes. Uh, that's not by accident. Lionel Strong actually went to uh, train at the Citadel to be a maester. He got six chains. Six links before he decided He did not want to be a master anymore So his appointment as master of law While he is a bit rotund Balding, his last name strong You might think him dumb He is not a dumb man His appointment as master of laws was very purposeful And it made an awful lot of sense for him to be master of laws So if you continue to be impressed with him You should be
1: I think it's a wonderful continuation, too, where he is a great character, he has incredible abilities, and they've set it up so well that he is always the guy that is there to give the king good advice about what the king should do. It seemed like the king acknowledged it this episode, of where the king didn't really want to hear it in terms of the advice, but then once the advice started to roll in of, hey, you know how your connections with House Valerian have gotten a little bit frayed lately? So, I recommended this before... This is still an option, and it could work in all these kind of ways. And the king is at first pissed, and then Patty Patty being such a great actor, it slowly just starts to, even through his drunken haze, bleed into him. So much of this is making sense. I'm going to give you a firm, drunken pat on the back as I walk past you in recognition of. I appreciate the good counsel you're always trying to give me.
0: Yeah, that solid move to go, well, no, I wasn't going to bring my son up at all. No, of course not.
1: I appreciate the honor you, were, you gave, gave me you know, name, by even... Son's name, by the now. way. Uh,
0: Lionel Strong's son's name. Breakbones. Great title. Um, great, great title. <laughs> you're going to want to remember that name. He yeah. he comes up again in the story. Yeah, uh, he will. Uh, I, I do love that we... The presentation to me of Lenor is very positive. I feel it like is. we all leave this episode impressed that Lenor was willing to stick up for Damon. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the that, that I, he's a dragon this, rider that he's a dragon rider he came in he saved the day he's putting himself at physical risk etc cetera, etc cetera. i love that there's some sympathy for laner valerian
1: that he served on the council that he is in that he's not just you know a stuffed lord sitting at a table he was directly recommending and guiding strategy and challenging his uncle with respect to loyalty Yes yeah, they, they were like the guy- hey we,
0: we're we gonna we're gonna we're gonna marry you uh, renera it's a laner valerian if he survives this fucking war that he's a yeah. shout
1: out <laughs> Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I love that line, too. And I loved, I loved how that was being emphasized to the King, too, about, hey, I know you don't really want to commit yourself to this, but this is the marriage lines I'm recommending, and, oh, yeah, for it to work, he does need to live till tomorrow. So, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that was well done, too. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think one of the weakest moments of the episode was just an odd bit of forced humor at the very start of when we start with a wonderful scene of a Valerian knight getting chained to a wooden post or yeah, modded to a wooden post and then Caraxes swoops in and he's cheering, yeah, yeah, Daemon, come save me and then Caraxes just steps on him that was so Bambi versus Godzilla to me that I just like, oh, just rolling my eyes at that kind of forced humor there so it did give me a great taste in my mouth to start but the episode only improved going forward
0: interesting, I didn't take that as humor at all I took that as an indication, further indication of how the little guy just doesn't factor in, it just doesn't factor in. I mean, it might be a little on the nose, right? But it doesn't, it, he just doesn't factor in. And like, yeah, like the, the Valerian soldier, he's rooting for Damon, et cetera. But Damon's, uh, unfortunately, Damon's not there for that guy. And that's become, that becomes very apparent
1: it was either it was either humorous or as you said it was just very on the nose but it didn't strike me right but from that point onward, the it episode, didn't strike was...
0: my wife right either Sarah, Sarah rolled her eyes at that too I, it didn't it didn't bother me uh because I was like kind of hoping that that is how it got displayed that mm-hmm. that guy thinking that Damon was there to champion him we would all learn that he really wasn't and it, that's exactly how it got done but I my wife was right there with you
1: But again, other than that, other than a couple of the quibbles we'll get into in our longer review, I thought this was a successful episode, I thought I had some great moments, I thought I had some wonderful acting between characters. It's continuing to successfully round and complete my understanding of characters that previously had nothing more written about them than like three paragraphs in a book. And it's done so in a way that I find successful and compelling, and that is a kudos to quality writing on the show.
0: Yeah, I thought this was the strongest episode so far, because of the character development, you know, I can I can really draw a parallel to Rings of Power. If you if anybody's watched the first couple of episodes of Rings of Power, I feel like this show gives you a couple characters and you go deep as opposed to a lot of characters and you go shallow, right? Mm-hmm. The, the couple characters, and we are going very deep with Renera and that is very, very good and very, very important. And I, I love that the show's doing that. And they're giving they're giving a lot of screen time to Renera and her thoughts, her frustrations, the fact that she's not perfect. She is a little petulant in that conversation with Viserys when he's trying to talk to her at the end. I mean, I'm a big fucking Viz- Renera supporter and, and she was kind of difficult. Right? She was
1: being a difficult teenage daughter. Exactly.
0: So I love that we're getting enough screen time to really go deep with some of these characters. And I think that the, the battle scene there on the step zones is worth the, worth the price of admission. <laughs> I thought they did a wonderful job with that. Shout out Miguel Sapochnik. So, Altogether, i i rate this as the highest episode i've seen so far
1: I, I would rate it in parallel to episode one uh i think it did some things very well but i i think it, it is consistent with the episodes we've seen previously on the show and that is a high compliment for what we had so far
0: cool any other concluding thoughts here on our reaction pod uh
1: shall we have a bow for our new king of the stepstones in terms of what he's accomplished the new lord of the narrow sea
0: all hail Damon targaryen first of his name King of the Andals, the First Men, the Stepstones, oh, and all that a- come with it.
1: <laughs> he is stepping on Viserys' turf with that title, sir. Well, the f- the Andals and the First Men who happen
0: to be at the Stepstones at this moment.
1: Just the people on this archipelago. That's all I meant when I said that. I'm issuing a retraction.
0: <laughs> all right this is a lot of fun uh loved love talking the episode with you we will be back with you remember tuesday or wednesday of this coming week with a much longer reaction pod thanks everybody for listening I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll be back with you later this week to talk more house of the dragon